0: Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: The Hounds of Fate by Saki This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Measy. The Hounds of Fate by Saki In the fading light of a close, dull autumn afternoon, Martin Stoner plodded his way along muddy lanes and rut-seamed cart-tracks that led he knew not exactly whither. Somewhere in front of him he fancied lay the sea, and towards the sea his footsteps seemed persistently turning. Why he was struggling wearily forward to that goal he could scarcely have explained, unless he was possessed by the same instinct that turns a hard-pressed stag cliffward in its last extremity. In his case, the hounds of fate were certainly pressing him with unrelenting insistence. Hunger, fatigue and despairing hopelessness had numbed his brain, and he could scarcely summon sufficient energy to wonder what underlying impulse was driving him onward. Stoner was one of those unfortunate individuals who seemed to have tried everything, and natural slothfulness and improvidence had always intervened to blight any chance of even moderate success. And now he was at the end of his tether, and there was nothing more to try. Desperation had not awakened in him any dormant reserve of energy. On the contrary, A mental torpor grew around the crisis of his fortunes. With the clothes he stood up in, a half-penny in his pocket, and no single friend or acquaintance to turn to, with no prospect either of a bed for the night or a meal for the morrow, Martin Stoner trudged stolidly forward between moist hedgerows and beneath dripping trees, his mind almost a blank except that he was subconsciously aware that somewhere in front of him lay the sea another consciousness intruded now and then the knowledge that he was miserably hungry presently he came to a halt by an open gateway that led into a spacious and rather neglected farm garden there was little sign of life about and the farmhouse at the further end of the garden looked chill and inhospitable. A drizzling rain, however, was setting in, and Stoner thought that here perhaps he might obtain a few minutes' shelter and buy a glass of milk with his last remaining coin. He turned slowly and wearily into the garden and followed a narrow flagged path up to a side door. Before he had time to knock, the door opened and a bent, withered-looking old man "'stood aside in the doorway, as though to let him pass in. Um "'Could I come in out of the rain?' Stoner began. "'But the old man interrupted him. "'Come in, Master Tom. I knew you'd be back one of these days.' "'Stoner lurched across the threshold "'and stood staring uncomprehendingly at the other. "'Sit down while I put out a bit of supper,' said the old man with quavering eagerness." Stoner's legs gave way from very weariness, and he sank inertly into the armchair that had been pushed up to him. In another minute he was devouring the cold meat, cheese, and bread that had been placed on the table at his side. "'You little changed these four years,' went on the old man, in a voice that sounded to Stoner as something in a dream, far away and inconsequent. "'But you'll find us a deal changed, you will?' "'There's no one about the place same as when you left. "'Nought but me and your old aunt. "'I'll go and tell her that you am come. "'She won't be seeing you, but she'll let you stay right enough. "'She always did say that if you were to come back you should stay, "'but she'd never set eyes on you or speak to you again.' "'The old man placed a mug of beer on the table in front of Stoner and then hobbled away down a long passage the drizzle of rain had changed to a furious lashing downpour which beat violently against the door and windows the wanderer thought with a shudder of what the seashore must look like under this drenching rainfall with night beating down on all sides he finished the food and beer and sat numbly waiting for the return of his strange host as the minutes ticked by on the grandfather clock in the corner a new hope began to flicker and grow in the young man's mind it was merely the expansion of his former craving for food and a few minutes rest into a longing to find a night's shelter under this seemingly hospitable roof a clattering of footsteps down the passage heralded the old farm servants return the old missus won't see you, Master Tom, but she says you're to stay. 'tis right enough, seeing the farm will be yours when she be put under earth. I've had a fire lit in your room, Master Tom, and the maids have put fresh sheets on to the bed. You'll find nought changed up there. Maybe you'm HEARD, and you'd like to go there now. Without a word, Martin Stoner rose heavily to his feet and followed his ministering angel along a passage, up a short, creaking stair, along another passage, and into a large room, lit with a cheerfully blazing fire. There was but little furniture, plain, old-fashioned, and good of its kind. A stuffed squirrel in a case, and a wall calendar of four years ago, were about the only symptoms of decoration. But Stoner had eyes for little else than the bed, and could hardly wait to tear his clothes off him before rolling in a luxury of weariness into its comfortable depths. The hounds of fate seemed to have checked for a brief moment. In the cold light of morning, Stoner laughed mirthlessly as he slowly realised the position in which he found himself. Perhaps he might snatch a bit of breakfast on the strength of his likeness to this other missing nerdy-well and get safely away before anyone discovered the fraud that had been thrust on him. In the room downstairs he found the bent old man ready with a dish of bacon and fried eggs for Master Tom's breakfast, while a hard-faced elderly maid brought in a teapot and poured him out a cup of tea. As he sat at the table, a small spaniel came up, and made friendly advances. Tis old Balca's pup," explained the old man, whom the hard-faced maid had addressed as George. She was main fond o' you. Never seemed the same way after you went to Australia. She died oh, about a year agone. Tis her pup. Stainer found it difficult to regret her decease. As a witness for identification, she would have left something to be desired. "'You'll go for a ride, Master Tom?' was the next startling proposition that came from the old man. "'We got a nice little roan-cob that goes well in saddle. Old Biddy is getting a bit up in yours, though our goes well still. But I'll have the little roan-saddled and brought round to the door.' Uh, "'I've got no riding-things.' Stammered the castaway, almost laughing "'as he looked at his one suit of well-worn clothes. "'Master Tom,' said the old man earnestly, "'almost with an offended air, "'all your things is just as you left em "'A little bit of air in before the fire, "'and they'll be all right. "'Twill be a bit of a distraction-like, "'a little ride-in and wild fowling now and again. "'You'll find the folk round here.' "'has hard and bitter minds towards you. "'They haven't forgotten, nor forgiven. "'No one will come near you, "'so you best get what distraction you can "'with horse and dog. "'Them good company, too.' "'Old George hobbled away to give his orders, "'and Stoner, feeling more than ever like one in a dream, "'went upstairs to inspect Master Tom's wardrobe.' A ride was one of the pleasures dearest to his heart, and there was some protection against immediate discovery of his imposture in the thought that none of Tom's aforetime companions were likely to favour him with a close inspection. As the interloper thrust himself into some tolerably well-fitting riding cords, he wondered vaguely what manner of misdeed the genuine Tom had committed to set the whole countryside against him. The thud, of quick eager hooves on damp earth cut short his speculations the roan cob had been brought up to the side door talk of beggars on horseback thought stoner to himself as he trotted rapidly along the muddy lanes where he had tramped yesterday as a down-at-heel outcast and then he flung reflection indolently aside and gave himself up to the pleasure of a smart canter along the turf-grown side of the level stretch of road. At an open gateway, he checked his pace to allow two carts to turn into a field. The lads driving the carts found time to give him a prolonged stare, and as he passed on, he heard an excited voice call out,
0: Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: T'as Tom Parake. I knowed him at once. Shown hisself here again, is he? Evidently, the likeness which had imposed at close quarters on a doddering old man was good enough to mislead younger eyes at a short distance. In the course of his ride, he met with ample evidence to confirm the statement... "'that local folk had neither forgotten nor forgiven "'the bygone crime which had come to him "'as a legacy from the absent Tom. "'Scowling looks, mutterings, and nudgings "'greeted him wherever he chanced upon human beings. "'Bocos pup, trotting placidly by his side, "'seemed to be the one element of friendliness "'in a hostile world. "'As he dismounted at the side-door,' he caught a fleeting glimpse of a gaunt, elderly woman peering at him from behind the curtain of an upper window. Evidently, this was his aunt by adoption. Over the ample midday meal that stood in readiness for him, a stoner was able to review the possibilities of his extraordinary situation. The real Tom, after four years of absence, might suddenly turn up at the farm or a letter might come from him at any moment. Again, in the character of heir to the farm, the false tom might be called on to sign documents, which would be an embarrassing predicament. Or a relative might arrive who would not imitate the aunt's attitude of aloofness. All these things would mean ignominious exposure. On the other hand, The alternative was the open sky and the muddy lanes that led down to the sea. The farm offered him, at any rate, a temporary refuge from destitution. Farming was one of the many things he had tried, and he would be able to do a certain amount of work in return for the hospitality to which he was so little entitled. "'Will you have cold pork for your supper?' asked the hard, faded maid as she cleared the table." or will you have it hotted up oh, hot with onions said stoner it was the only time in his life that he had made a rapid decision as he gave the order he knew that he meant to stay stoner kept rigidly to those portions of the house which seemed to have been allocated to him by a tacit treaty of delimitation when he took part in the farm work It was as one who worked under orders and never initiated them old george the roan cob and boker's pup were his sole companions in a world that was otherwise frostily silent and hostile of the mistress of the farm he saw nothing once when he knew she had gone forth to church he made a furtive visit to the farm parlour in an endeavour to glean some fragmentary knowledge of the young man whose place he had usurped and whose ill repute had fastened on himself. There were many photographs hung on the walls or stuck in prim frames, but the likeness he sought was not among them. At last, in an album thrust out of sight, he came across what he wanted. There was a whole series labelled Tom. A podgy child of three in a fantastic frock, an awkward boy of about twelve holding a cricket bat as though he loathed it, a rather good-looking youth of eighteen with very smooth, evenly parted hair, and finally a young man with a somewhat surly daredevil expression. At this last portrait, Stoner looked with particular interest, the likeness to himself, was unmistakable. From the lips of old George, who was garrulous enough on most subjects, he tried again and again to learn something of the nature of the offence which shut him off as a creature to be shunned and hated by his fellow men. Um, what do the folk around here say about me? he asked one day as they were walking home from an outlying field. The old man shook his head. They be bitter again, you... "'Mortal bitter! Ay, tis a sad business, a sad business!' And never could he be got to say anything more enlightening. On a clear frosty evening, a few days before the festival of Christmas, Stoner stood in a corner of the orchard which commanded a wide view of the countryside. Here and there he could see the twinkling dots of lamp or candle-glow which told of human homes— where the goodwill and jollity of the season held their sway. Behind him lay the grim, silent farmhouse where no one ever laughed, where even a quarrel would have seemed cheerful. As he turned to look at the long, grey front of the gloom-shadowed building, a door opened, and old George came hurriedly forth. stoner heard his adopted name called in a tone of strained anxiety, Instantly he knew that something untoward had happened, and with a quick revulsion of outlook his sanctuary became in his eyes a place of peace and contentment from which he dreaded to be driven. "'Master Tom,' said the old man in a hoarse whisper, "'you must slip away, quiet from here for a few days. Michael Lay is back in the village, and he swears to shoot you if he can come across you.' "'He'll do it, too. There's murder in the look of him.' "'Get away, under cover of night. "'Tis only for a week or so. He won't be here longer.' "'But, I mean, where am I to go?' stammered Stoner, "'who had caught the infection of the old man's obvious terror. "'Go right away along the coast to Punchford, and keep hid there. "'When Michael's safe gone, I'll ride the roan over to the Green Dragon at Punchford, "'and when you see the cob stabled at the Green Dragon. "'Tis a sign you may come back again.' "'But,' began Stoner hesitantly, "'Oh, tis all right for money,' said the other. "'The old missus agrees you'll best do as I say, "'and she's given me this.' "'And the old man produced three sovereigns and some odd silver.' "'Stoner felt more of a cheat than ever "'as he stole away that night from the back gate of the farm "'with the old woman's money in his pocket.' old George and Boker's pup stood watching him, a silent farewell from the yard. He could scarcely fancy that he would ever come back, and he felt a throb of compunction for those two humble friends who would wait wistfully for his return. Some day, perhaps, the real Tom would come back, and there would be wild wonderment amongst those simple farm folks as to the identity of the shadowy guest they had harboured under their roof. For his own fate, he felt no immediate anxiety. Three pounds goes but a little way in the world when there is nothing behind it, but to a man who has counted his exchequer in pennies it seems a good starting point. Fortune had done him a whimsically kind turn when last he trod those lanes as a hopeless adventurer, and there might yet be a chance of his finding some work and making a fresh start as he got further from the farm his spirits rose higher there was a sense of relief in regaining once more his lost identity and ceasing to be the uneasy ghost of another scarcely bothered to speculate about the implacable enemy who had dropped from nowhere into his life since that life was now behind him one unreal item the more made little difference For the first time, for many months, he began to hum a careless, light-hearted refrain. Then there stepped out from the shadow of an overhanging oak tree a man with a gun. There was no need to wonder who he might be. The moonlight falling on his white-set face revealed a glare of human hate such as Stoner, in the ups and downs of his wanderings, had never seen before. He sprang aside in a wild effort to break through the hedge that bordered the lane, but the tough branches held him fast. The hounds of fate had waited for him in those narrow lanes, and this time they were not to be denied. End of The Hounds of Fate by Saki